Stepping Heavenward by E. Prentice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anna Christensen. Stepping Heavenward by E. Prentice. Chapter 15. October 4th. Home again, and with my dear Ernest delighted to see me. Baby is a year old today, and, as usual, father, who seems to abhor anything like a merry-making, took himself off to his room. Tomorrow he will be all the worse for it, and will be sure to have a theological battle with somebody. October 5th. That somebody was his daughter Catherine, as usual. Baby was asleep in my lap, and I reached out for a book which proved to be a volume of Shakespeare, which had done long service as an ornament to the table, but which nobody ever read on account of the small print. The battle then begun thus. Father, I regret to see that worldly author in your hands, my daughter. Daughter, a little mischievously. Why, were you wanting to talk, father? No, I am too feeble to talk today. My pulse is very weak. Let me read aloud to you, then. Not from that profane book. It would do you good. You never take any recreation. Do let me read a little. Father gets nervous. Recreation is a snare. I must keep my soul ever fixed on divine things. But can you? No, alas, it is my grief and shame that I do not. But if you would indulge yourself in a little harmless mirth now and then, your mind would get rested and you would return to divine things with fresh zeal. Why should not the mind have its seasons of rest as well as the body? We shall have time to rest in heaven. Our business here on earth is to be sober and vigilant because of our adversary, not to be reading plays. I don't make reading plays my business, dear father. I make it my rest and amusement. Christians do not need amusement. They find rest, refreshment, all they want, in God. Do you, father? Alas, no. He seems a great way off. To me he seems very near, so near that he can see every thought of my heart. Dear father, it is your disease that makes everything so unreal to you. God is really so near, really loves us so, is so sorry for us, and it seems hard when you are so good and so intent on pleasing him that you get no comfort out of him. I am not good, my daughter. I am a vile worm of the dust. Well, God is good at any rate, and he would never have sent his son to die for you if he did not love you. So then I began to sing. Father likes to hear me sing, and the sweet sense I had that all I had been saying was true and more than true made me sing with joyful heart. I hope it is not a mere miserable presumption that makes me dare to talk so to poor father. Of course he is ten times better than I am, and knows ten times as much. But his disease, whatever it is, keeps his mind befogged. I mean to begin now to pray that light may shine into his soul. It would be delightful to see the peace of God shining in that pale, stern face. March 28. It is almost six months since I wrote that. About the middle of October, Father had one of his ill turns one night, and we were all called up. He asked for me particularly, and Ernest came for me at last. He was a good deal agitated, and would not stop to half-dress myself. And as I had a slight cold already, I suppose I added to it then. At any rate, I was taken very sick, and the worst cough I ever had has racked my poor frame almost to pieces. Nearly six months' confinement to my room, 
six months of uselessness during which i've been a mere cucumber of the ground poor ernest what a hard time he has had instead of the cheerful welcome home i was to give him whenever he entered the house here i have lain exhausted woe be gone and good for nothing it is the bitterest disappointment i ever had my ambition is to be the sweetest brightest best of wives and what with my childish follies and my sickness what a weary life my dear husband has had but how often i have prayed that god would do his will in defiance if need be of mine i have tried to remind myself of that every day but i am too tired to write any more now march thirtieth this experience of suffering has filled my mind with new thought at one time i was so sick that ernest sent for mother poor mother she had to sleep with martha it was a great comfort to have her here but i know by her coming how sick i was and then i began to ponder the question whether i was ready to die death looked to me as a most solemn momentous event but there was something very pleasant in the thought of being no longer a sinner but a redeemed saint and of dwelling forever in christ's presence father came to see me when i had just reached this point my dear daughter he asked are you prepared to face the judge of all the earth no dear father i said christ will do that for me have you no misgivings i could only smile i had no strength to talk then i heard ernest my dear calm self-controlled ernest burst out crying and rush out of the room i looked after him and how i loved him but i felt that i loved my saviour infinitely more and that if he now let me come home to be with him i could trust him to be a thousandfold more to ernest than i could ever be and to take care of my darling baby and my precious mother far better than i could the very gates of heaven seemed open to let me in and then they were suddenly shut in my face and i found myself a poor weak tempted creature here upon earth i who fancied myself an heir of glory was nothing but a peevish human creature very human indeed overcome if martha shook the bed as she always did irritated if my food did not come at the right moment or was not of the right sort hurt and offended if ernest put on a tone less anxious and tender than he had used when i was very ill and in short my own poor faulty self once more oh what fearful battles i fought for patience forbearance and unselfishness what sorrowful tears of shame i shed over hasty impatient words and fretful tones no wonder i longed to be gone where weakness should be swallowed up in strength and sin give place to eternal perfection but here i am and suffering and work lie before me for which i feel little physical or mental courage but blessed be the will of god april fifth i was alone with father last evening ernest and martha both being out and soon saw by the way he fidgeted in his chair that he had something on his mind so i laid down the book i was reading and asked him what it was my daughter he began can you bear a plain word from an old man i felt frightened for i knew i had been impatient to martha of late in spite of all my efforts to the contrary i am still so miserably unwell i have seen many deathbeds he went on but i never saw one where there was not some dread of the king of terrors exhibited nor one where there was such absolute certainty of having found favour with god to make the hour of departure entirely free from such doubts and such humility as become a guilty sinner about to face his judge but there have been many such deaths and i hardly know of any scene that so honours and magnifies the lord yes 
he said slowly. But they were old, mature, ripened Christians. Not always so, dear father. Let me describe to you a scene Ernest described to me only yesterday. He waved his hand in token that this would delay his coming to the point he was aiming at. To speak plainly, he said, I feel uneasy about you, my daughter. You are young and in the bloom of life, but when death seems staring you in the face, you expressed no anxiety, asked for no counsel, showed no alarm. It must be pleasant to possess so comfortable a persuasion of our acceptance with God, but is it safe to rest on such an assurance, while we know that the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? I thank you for the suggestion, I said, and, dear father, do not be afraid to speak still more plainly. You live in the house with me, see all my shortcomings and my faults, and I cannot wonder that you think me a poor weak Christian. But do you really fear that I am deceived in believing that notwithstanding this, I do really love my God and Saviour, and am his child? No, he said, hesitating a little. I, I can't say that. Exactly. Uh, I can't say that. This hesitation distressed me. At first it seemed to me that my life must have uttered a very uncertain sound, if those who saw it could misunderstand its language. But then I reflected that it was, at best, a very faulty life, and that its springs of action were not necessarily seen by lookers-on. Father saw my distress and perplexity, and seemed touched by them. Just then Ernest came in with Martha, but seeing that something was amiss, the latter took herself off to her room, which I thought really kind of her. "'What is it, father? What is it, Katie?' asked Ernest, looking from one troubled face to the other. I tried to explain. "'I think, father, you may safely trust my wife's spiritual interest to me,' Ernest said with warmth. "'You do not understand her. I do. Because there is nothing morbid about her, because she has a sweet, cheerful confidence in Christ, you doubt and misjudge her. You may depend upon it that people are individual in their piety, as in other things, and cannot all be run in one mould. Katie has a playful way of speaking, I know, and often expresses her strongest feelings with what seems like levity, and is, perhaps, a little reckless about being misunderstood in consequence. He smiled on me, as he thus took up the cudgels in my defense, and I never felt so grateful to him in my life. The truth is, I hate sentimentalism so cordially, and have besides such an instinct to conceal my deepest, most sacred emotions, that I do not wonder people misunderstand and misjudge me. I did not refer to her playfulness, father returned. Old people must make allowances for the young. They must make allowances. What pains me is that this child, full of life and gaiety as she is, sees death approach without that becoming awe and terror which befits mortal man. Ernest was going to reply, but I broke in eagerly upon his answer. It is true that I expressed no anxiety when I believed death to be at hand. I felt none. I had given myself away to Christ, and he had received me, and why should I be afraid to take his hand and go where he led me? And it is true that I asked for no counsel. I was too weak to ask questions, or to like to have questions asked. But my mind was bright and wide awake while my body was so feeble, and I took counsel of God. Oh, let me read to you two passages from the life of Caroline Fry, which will make you understand how a poor sinner looks upon death. 
the first is an extract from a letter written after learning that our days on earth were numbered as many will hear and will not understand why i want no time of preparation often desired by far holier ones than i i tell you why and shall tell others and so shall you it is not because i am so holy but because i am so sinful the peculiar character of my religious experience has always been a deep an agonizing sense of sin the sin of yesterday of to-day confessed with anguish hard to be endured and cried for pardon that could not be unheard each day cleansed anew in jesus blood and each day more and more hateful in my own sight what can i do in death i have not done in life what do in this week when i am told i cannot live other than i did last week when i knew it not alas there is but one thing undone to serve him better and the deathbed is no place for that therefore i say if i am not ready now i shall not be by delay so far as i have to do with it if he has more to do in me that is his part i need not ask him not to spoil his work by too much haste and these were her dying words a few days later this is my bridal day the beginning of my life i wish there should be no mistake about the reason of my desire to depart and to be with christ i confess myself the vilest chiefest of sinners and i desire to go to him that i may be rid of the burden of sin the sin of my nature not the past repented of every day but the present hourly momentary sin which i do commit or may commit the sense of which at times drives me half mad with grief i shall never forget the expression of father's face as i finished reading these remarkable words he rose slowly from his seat and came and kissed me on the forehead then he left the room but returned with a large volume and pointing to a blank page requested me to copy them there he complains that i do not write legibly so i printed them as plainly as i could with my pen june twentieth on the first of may there came to us with other spring flowers our little fair-haired blue-eyed daughter how rich i felt when i heard ernest's voice as he replied to a question asked at the door proclaim mother and children all well to think that we who thought ourselves rich before are made so much richer now but she is not large and vigorous as little ernest was and we cannot rejoice in her without some misgivings yet her very frailty makes her precious to us little ernest hangs over her with an almost lover-like pride and devotion and should she live i can imagine what a protector he will be for her I have had to give up the care of him to Martha. During my illness I do not know what would have become of him but for her. One of the pleasant events of every day at this time was her bringing him to me in such exquisite order, his face shining with health and happiness, his hair and dress so beautifully neat and clean. Now that she has the care of him, she has become very fond of him, and he certainly formed one bond of union between us, for we both agree that he is the handsomest, best, most remarkable child that ever lived or ever will live july sixth i have come home to dear mother with both my children ernest says our only hope for baby is to keep her out of the city during the summer months what a petite wee maiden she is where does all the love come from if i had had her always i do not see how i could be more fond of her and do people call it living who never had any children 
July 10th. If this darling baby lives, I shall always believe it is owing to my mother's prayers. I find little Ernest has a passionate temper and a good deal of self-will, but he has fine qualities. I wish he had a better mother. I am so impatient with him when he is wayward and perverse. What he needs is a firm, gentle hand, moved by no caprice, and controlled by the constant fear of God. He never ought to hear an irritable word or sharp tones, but he does hear them, I must own, with grief and shame. The truth is, it is so long since I really felt strong and well that I am not myself and cannot do him justice, poor child. Next to being a perfect wife, I want to be a perfect mother. How mortifying, how dreadful in all things to come short of even one's own standard. What approach, then, does one make to God's standard? Mother seems very happy to have us here, though we make so much trouble. She encourages me in all my attempts to control myself and to control our dear little boy, and the chapters she gives me out of her own experience are as interesting as a novel, and a good deal more instructive. August. Dear Ernest has come to spend a week with us. He is all tired out, as there has been quite a deal of sickness in the city, and father has had quite a serious attack. He brought with him a nurse for baby, as one more desperate effort to strengthen her constitution. I reproached him for doing it without consulting me, but he said mother had written to tell him that I was all worn out and not in a state to have the care of the children. It has been a terrible blow to me. One by one I am giving up the sweetest maternal duties. God means that I shall be nothing and do nothing, a mere useless sufferer. When I tell Ernest so, he says I am everything to him, and that God's children please him just as well when they sit patiently with folded hands if that is his will, as when they are hard at work. But to be at work, to be useful, to be necessary to my husband and children, is just what I want, and I do find it hard to be set against the wall, as it were, like an old piece of furniture no longer of any service. I see now that my first desire has not been to please God, but to please myself, for I am restless under his restraining hand, and find my prison a very narrow one. I would be willing to bear any other trial if I could only have health and strength for my beloved ones. I'd pray for patience with bitter tears. End of chapter 15